greet every one of you individually and say hello to you, but I'm Pastor Mark, and I am super glad to see you here this morning. He is risen. Happy Easter. We are joining with churches around the world, and this has been going on, uh, and it will continue going on because of the whole time, you know, space-time continuum, right? Easter lasts throughout the world all at different times as we're celebrating, and we are celebrating because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. It was God's love that sent Jesus to the earth to offer himself up as a sacrifice on the cross, to offer forgiveness to the world of our sins. And it is the love of God that continues to offer us new life through Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. So today as we celebrate, we worship the risen Lord Jesus. If you're from my generation and you're willing to admit it, or maybe you just like the awesome 80s, you may recall Huey Lewis and the News singing The Power of Love. Who remembers that song from the 80s and willing to admit it? Um, we reenacted the uh, DeLorean and for Trunk or Treat this year, so I had that playing a little bit from the back of my car. It's not a DeLorean, sadly. Um, but love probably is the most powerful force on earth. The men in the room like me, may be able to relate to this a little bit, the things that love caused you to do to win your sweetheart or maybe your wife. Love makes us write bad poetry. It makes us watch romantic movies. It makes us sing epic songs at the top of our lungs. It makes us pack on tickets to the game so that we can keep a date that we made. It may make us change our hairstyle, change our wardrobe. We'll do just about anything for love. How many of you are guilty of doing some or all of those in the past? Guys, any of you willing to admit it? If you haven't, keep doing it. Keep loving your girlfriend. Keep loving your spouse. Keep doing crazy things. Love is the driving force behind the sacrificial actions that we do for our spouses, for our family, for our friends, and we'll gladly pay almost any price to demonstrate just how much we care. Love is powerful, and because of that, it sometimes allows us to do some amazing things. Before there was ever an Easter Sunday to celebrate, there was first a Good Friday. Before there was a resurrection, first there had to be a death. And that was all about love. There can only be one king. And for 33 years, Jesus of Nazareth lived here on the earth. He walked among the people that he created. He served the hungry. He healed the broken. He delivered the oppressed. He called people to repent of their sins because the kingdom of God was at hand. The restoration of all things had begun. He claimed to be the Son of God, and many believed that He really was the true King of all things. But it was this kind of talk, it was this kind of thinking that caused a lot of conflict in the Middle East, and there's always been conflict in the Middle East. At that time, the ruler of the ancient Near East was Rome. They had taken over much of the world in that central part of 
Asia and the Middle East and Europe. Rome had installed a puppet king in Israel. Herod the Great was probably a name he gave himself. I don't know how many people were willing to call him that, but he was a tyrant. And he was constantly afraid that his authority would be undermined. Another king would also be a threat to Rome because they had just one king and he was Caesar. So someone else walking around calling himself the king and getting people to follow him and call him a king was a threat to be eradicated. The Jewish religious leaders, along with Herod, brought in some Roman centurions, and together they had Jesus arrested. He was brought to trial for his claims to be the Son of God, to be the promised Messiah, the King of Israel. He was weakly convicted. They couldn't come up with matching testimonies to really prove any of the things that they were saying. But then he was beaten nearly to death, and he was sentenced to hang on a cross, a public execution for his crime, being the Son of God. Listen to this account from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. We're going to be in Matthew 27 and 28, so if you want to grab one of the pew Bibles in front of you, or if you brought one with you, you can turn there. Matthew 27, verses 32 to 42. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him. In the same way, the crucifixion of Jesus was marked by ridicule and unbelief. The Romans mocked Jesus by placing a sign over his head, calling him the king of the Jews, even though they didn't believe this. Those who passed by mocked him, telling him to save himself. If he was really the son of God, he would have the power to do that. The priests, the teachers mocked Jesus, telling him to get down off the cross if he really was the king of Israel. They were all saying, prove it, prove it. Otherwise, you're just going to sadly die the same death as these two convicted robbers on the sides of you. If you really are who you say you are, prove it. None of them understood that the true test of Jesus' power 
and his authority was not in his ability to get down off the cross to save himself from crucifixion, but his power lay in his ability to overcome death that the crucifixion would bring. People often miss Jesus' lordship because they were expecting him to prove himself in certain ways, and he does something totally different. Many people have decided in their own hearts that they can't really trust Jesus. They can't really believe in God unless he meets their expectations, unless he heals their sick relative, unless he gives them the job, unless he stops world hunger or writes something amazing in the sky. God, show me that you're real. They say they will never believe him. They'll never trust or obey his authority in their lives. They refuse to see him as king unless he does what you want him to do. It was this kind of thinking that plagued the people who were there at Jesus' death. It's also the same fearful insanity that drove Herod to be part of the death of God's son. When we demand Jesus to prove himself on our terms, we rob ourselves of seeing his work in our lives. Herod was not the last one to be threatened by the kingship of Jesus. He was not the only one to struggle with the idea of Jesus being the one in charge. That truth is still a struggle for lots of people today. I don't want Jesus to be in charge of my life. I want to be in charge. This chair weighs like a thousand pounds. In our lives, there can only be one king as well. This chair represents the center of my being, my heart, the place where my emotions, where my thoughts, where my soul rests. And if I'm the one sitting here thinking that I'm in charge, ignoring God, then I'm missing it all. God is the one who created me. He created you. He created mankind to know him, to love him, to worship him. He created us to have him at the center of our lives, not because he's an egomaniac, but because he designed us and he knows that we work best when our hearts, our thoughts, everything we are is not focused on myself. When I do that, my world falls apart. My relationships break. The people around me don't want to be around me because it's all about me and what I can get from you. But when I step out of this seat and I invite Jesus to be Lord, to reign over me, then things start working right. That word reign, for any kids that are still here with us, is not the rain that falls from the sky. It's rain as in the ruler, the one in charge. So a king would sit on a throne and he reigns over his kingdom. He tells everybody what to do. He's the one in charge. And when we say love reigns, we're talking about God's love reigning in us, being in charge of our hearts, being the center of all that we are. I need to get out of that seat, and I need to let Jesus be there instead. If Jesus is dead, if he died on that cross, then none of this matters. If he died just like any other man, not proving who he was, then why are we even here today? We're here today 
because he didn't stay dead. He rose again. The tomb is empty, and he reigns supreme. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And love overcame death. It wasn't getting down from the cross and missing out on that suffering and that death that proved that Jesus was who he said he was, because he had to go through with that. It was rising from the dead, something no one else could do. Three days later, his own disciples were shocked and amazed. They couldn't believe it. Who took the body of the Lord? Where is he? And he said, don't you remember? I told you over and over again. After three days, I will rise again. They saw him killed. They saw him dead. Several of the men carried him into a tomb, and they saw a stone rolled in front of it, and now they're sitting, talking, and eating with him, and he is alive. Jesus' love for his creation, his love for people, brought him back to life, and his resurrection is the proof that he was indeed all that he said he was, the Son of God, the promised Messiah, and the King over all. I don't know how many of you are art lovers, but back in the 19th century, there was a French artist, Paul Gustave Dore, and he did illustrations, he did a lot of biblical um, paintings, And he came to a border crossing while traveling around Europe. We think it's hard facing the TSA at airports today, but as all the wars happened throughout Europe, every crossing had guards to make sure that you were going to the right place. And Dora uh, arrived at this crossing explaining his predicament to the guards. He had forgot his papers. He didn't have them with him. He had nothing official And he hoped that maybe they would recognize his face. I am Paul Gustave Dore. I'm the famous artist. Don't you know me? They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have Facebook. They couldn't see his face all over the place, and they had no idea who he was. The guard said, lots of people claim to be lots of things, but I need proof. Dore said, I really am who I say I am, and I need to pass And they said, all right, we'll give you a test, and if you pass the test, we'll let you through. So they handed him a sheet of paper and a pencil and said, if you're an artist, prove it. Show us. So he started making a sketch of some of the people waiting in line, and as he skillfully, quickly depicted these people beautifully on the paper, the guard was convinced that he truly was who he said he was. His work confirmed his word. They could hear him say all day long, this is who I am, but they wanted to see it. They wanted proof. Jesus' resurrection was the work that confirmed his word as well. Though many doubted, though many mocked him, death did not have the final word, the final say. It was love. And this was the real power of love. Scripture tells us this is true in the most famous passages In Scripture, John 3.16, you probably don't need to turn there, and you can say it along with me if you'd like to. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
John 3.16. God loved the world so much that he sent his own son, Jesus, to die. When we put our faith, when we put our hope, our trust in Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection, then we can be saved. We will not perish in our sins. We've been given an opportunity for eternal life to live forever and ever with God. We know that because of Jesus, the worst thing that can ever happen to us here on earth is dying physically. But that's not the last thing that happens. Because the Bible teaches that every single person is an eternal, immortal soul. Every person will have something happen after death. And the question is, will you go to life eternal with God? Or will you perish in your sins in a place called hell? That's the last experience. 1 John 4.9 talks more about this love. I thought I had these tabbed ahead of time, but I didn't. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. It was shown to us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. This is how God showed His love. This is how He proved His love. He sent His Son, Jesus. And the way Jesus proved who He was, that He really was the Son of God, He rose from the dead. His final words to His followers reveal to us the truth behind the Easter story, and we're back in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. These are often called the words of the Great Commission, but there's more to it. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven has been, and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Easter is the day that we recognize that Jesus was given all authority in heaven and on earth. No matter how many doubted, he is the King of the Jews. And he is the king of kings. No matter how many mocked him, he was able, about being unable to rescue himself, no matter how many questioned his power, he defeated the cross. He defeated sin and the grave once and for all. And the love of God is the authority that now reigns over the entire world and over our lives as well. And then his instruction for his followers was, go into all the world and make disciples. Spread the good news about the resurrection and about God's love, about this offer of eternal life, about peace with God. And we've been invited to share that message because it changes people's hearts. It changes people's lives. It changes their future. And as we saw in the video, as His love reigns in our heart, it lets us see our past as forgiven. That's who I was. It's not who I am anymore. And it lets us look forward to a future hope that is with Him for all of eternity. We need to let God's love reign in us. 
If you consider yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, then this instruction has been given to you as well, to be part of making disciples. The Greek word is up there on the screen, mathetis. It means student or learner. Becoming a Christian means becoming a student or a learner of the way of Jesus Christ. The disciples spent three years with him, seated at his feet, listening to his teaching, watching him live his life. They went everywhere with him. And as believers, we're called to be disciples, to get to know God, to learn who Jesus is, to see how he would react in different ways. And the way we do that is by becoming students or learners of his word. That's why God's word is so important to us. We read it, and God reveals himself, his character, who he is. We read it, and we see ourselves, who we are, and what we need to do in response to this great God. To become a disciple of Jesus Christ is to become a lifelong learner of becoming more like Jesus Christ. Over time, as we let him fully reign over our hearts, we learn to become more generous. We learn to forgive as we are forgiven. We learn to serve others. We learn to practice self-control. We learn to be people who seek peace instead of always needing to win. When we submit to the love of Jesus in our own lives, we are compelled to live a life that is like his. We're compelled to invite others to join us, and that's what it means to let his love reign over us. I became a believer at a fairly young age. I believed that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I, need that I believed that I needed to be saved, and I was later baptized. And as I went through my teen years and young adult years, I was part of the church. I loved being there. I loved serving. But there were still parts of my life that I hadn't given to the Lord. And I realized that I needed to be all in. Why am I just going through the motions with bits and pieces? And as I've learned and has, have given more and more to him, I've just seen him do greater and greater things. He's doing greater things. I'm not doing them. I'm just along for the ride. But it's made my life have meaning and purpose and brought joy. It's improved relationships with people. Giving God control means that I don't need to feel like I'm the one doing it all. And that's the hardest thing for us, to humble ourselves before God and say, God, you know better. You can do this better than I can. I want to let you do it in my life. He's not finished with me yet. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. I'm going to be there for just a moment, but if you can turn quickly. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. There's a lot of talk in the New Testament about dying to yourself, and it sounds kind of morbid, like, Am I just going around like a dead man all the time? We're dying to our sin. We're letting the old self die away. And we're giving life to this new creation that Jesus started. And we're saying that's what we want to feed. We want to see the Holy Spirit taking control and me becoming smaller and smaller. 
And that's what John the Baptist's testimony was, wasn't it? I need to decrease while Jesus increases. He knew what he was there to do, to point people to Jesus. And that's our role. That's our mission in life, pointing people to Jesus. It's not look at me and all the things I've done. It's look at him. Look at him. Look at him. When Jesus' love reigns or controls my life, it's no longer about me. I'm no longer fighting for control. I'm no longer trying to make sure that I get everything that I deserve. I'm living for him so that others can know him. The final encouragement in Matthew 28, 20, as Jesus was ascending up to heaven was, I will be with you to the very end. Maybe you feel today like God has forgotten about you. If you're a believer, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, then you can hang on to that promise. I will be with you to the very end. You are never alone. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells and lives in the soul and the spirit of every believer. So God is with us no matter where we are. No matter what you're facing in life, you are not alone. When we hear God's word, it's like a mirror reflecting our souls. As I said before, we see who God is. We see what his standards are, the truth about the way things really are. And then we compare that to the reality of what we think is going on in the world and what we think is going on in our own lives and our own hearts. God's love has the power to change us. But first, we need to respond to his love. We all need to make some kind of a decision this morning about what you've heard. And I think every one of us in the room falls into one of three places. First of all, there may be some here this morning watching online who have never made the decision to follow Jesus, to let God's love reign in your life. Maybe you've been waiting for Jesus to prove himself. Maybe you're the one with a loved one that you've been praying for and you're saying, God, if you do this, I'll believe in you. We can bring all of our requests to God, but he's still the one who's sovereign. He's still the one in control. And depending on what's going on in that person's life, they may be better off in heaven. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring for them. But sometimes we're praying for just what we want. Or we're praying for the job that we think is going to be perfect. We're praying for the person that if they were only my spouse, then everything would be just great. We're praying with ourselves seated in the throne, in control, saying, God, bring me what I want, and then I'll believe in you. If that's where you are, then you don't really know God. Because he is in control of everything, and he's only going to give you what is good for you. He doesn't need to prove himself more than Christ's resurrection. So if you see that and you believe it, you trust him as your savior, you humble yourself to the point of saying, I've been running my own life long enough and it's just not going great. I need someone else in charge. Then today I would invite you to give your life to Christ to say, Jesus, I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. And you can come talk to me after the service. These front pews are open. You can come up and pray at the end. Maybe you're ready to give your heart to Jesus today.
Secondly, there may be some who have trusted in Jesus, but then you stopped following. You stopped obeying him. Maybe life got really hard. Maybe you just got busy with work, with family, with school, with other things, and you forgot where to go for answers. You started listening to the people around you, your peers, and you said, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What should I do? Instead of going to God, the one who not only created you, but knows you, knows you best, and knows what's best for you. Maybe you stopped coming to church with others who can help you, who are here to encourage you. Maybe you strayed so far from him that you feel like there's just no going back. The new life of Easter, this celebration of his resurrection and new life in Christ is a reminder to you that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just, and he'll forgive your sins, he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. David said, search my heart, O God, and see if there's anything wicked, anything wrong in my heart. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. If that's where you are this morning, then come on down to the front, pray, talk to God. If you want someone to pray with you, you can ask someone to do that. Ask God to restore your relationship with him and restore that joy. Or third, maybe, maybe this last category You can maybe think of a fourth one later and you can text it to me. But this is the last one I thought of. Maybe you've been following Jesus, you've been coming to church, but there's still some parts of your life that you want to keep for yourself. So you said, Jesus, I need you to have full control. So I'm going to move mostly out of the chair, but I'm just going to hang on to just this last little corner, right? Just, Just let me have a little bit of control, right? If you're like me and you've seen my desk, it's about control. I think want things lined up and neat, and it's definitely a problem. God continues to humble me and say, Mark, you don't have it all in control. But I want to, and I have to remind myself that, God, you need to be the one in control. I need to start my day saying, what you want to do is what I should be doing, not my list but to be ready for whatever you bring into my life, whether it seems like an annoyance or a hindrance to me getting my list done, God, your list is the real list. What do I need to do for you today? Maybe your career, your financial decisions. God has nothing to do with that. I went to school. I studied this. I know how to do these things. Why do I need to let God into my finances? Or maybe it's your personal life, your relationships. God, this person is my friend, and it doesn't matter whether they like you or not. I just know that this is the right person for me. Maybe it's your ungracious thoughts or attitudes towards some people. You know who those people are. A way of talking that discourages people, that finds fault all the time instead of building them up, instead of seeing something good and saying, that's great, keep doing that, and maybe try this. Maybe your quick impatience and your anger makes you look at people and see them as obstacles in your way. Things were going great until you showed up today. You're in my way. Do we see people as obstacles or as opportunities? Here's somebody that I can show God's love and mercy to instead of tucking my head down and barreling through. 
If you look through the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, patience, long-suffering, goodness, mercy, pray and talk to God maybe this week and say, what's missing in my life? And if you're thick-headed enough like me, you may need to talk to your spouse, talk to your kids and say, what's missing? What am I missing? What am I just hanging on to and saying, well, that's just the way I am? How many of you are guilty of saying that? Or hearing people say that, that's just the way I am. Guess what? Jesus died so you don't have to be that way anymore. The Apostle Paul said, sinners and liars and thieves, such were some of you. But now you've been redeemed. You've been bought with a price. You are a new creation You can leave that behind and be who God meant you to be. If you're in that category, which I think the rest of us fall into somewhere else, you can pray in your seat, or if you want to come up front and pray with somebody, you can do that. I would encourage you to not ignore the Holy Spirit calling you today. Maybe the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart saying, let me in. God wants to have a relationship with you, but you have to open the door and say, I need you. Or maybe it's you turning back to God or saying, God, here are some parts of my life I want you to be reigning over. I don't want to be the king or queen of my own kingdom any longer. God, you're the one who belongs in charge. I hope that this Easter, as you see the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the proof of his love, I pray that you would let that love reign in your life and that you would join with Christ, join with the disciples and the apostles over the ages of spreading that good news wherever you go. He is risen. Happy Easter. Mark, you're going to come up and we're going to sing a closing song. I hope you'll join us again next Sunday. We're back to our regular time, which is 9.30. So today, if you came at 9 o'clock for breakfast, you would be right on time. You'd be here half an hour early. You'd get a good seat, and you'd be here for church. We start at 9.30 with our worship service. We have coffee time in between, and then we have Sunday school classes for everybody at 11 o'clock, and I would love to see you back with us again. We're going to be back to the book of Jonah, seeing God's mercy and his love chasing down one of his loved ones. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this glorious day that we could celebrate the risen Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for offering up your own life as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could know our Heavenly Father, so that we could have a right relationship with Him, so that we could turn our lives over to you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Please, Lord, reign in our lives, reign in our hearts. And I pray that anyone this morning who's struggling with a decision to make, I pray that you'd give them the courage to step forward and talk to you and talk to someone else if they need help. To Jesus Christ, the Son, the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an unapproachable light, to the Father whom no one has ever seen or can see, To him be glory and eternal dominion forever and ever. Amen.